and welcome to this week's podcast. This is Josh Carlson with Hilltop Community Church, and I just want to say we're really glad that you joined us today. If you're new to the church, make sure to visit us online at hilltopchurchnv.com and fill out one of the online connection cards. We'd love to get connected with you and just say hello. While you're there, you can also find out more information about the church, get connected with Bible studies, submit prayer requests, and even find other sermons on the website as well. Now, make sure that you have your coffee, have your Bible, and your notepad ready to go, because we're about to get started with today's message. Well, good morning. It's really good to see all of you here today, and we appreciate those who are joining online as well. I'm going to be sharing a message with you from multiple passages within the scriptures. And so if you want to follow along with the, the handout, um, there's a, uh, in the seat pocket in front of you, you'll find a QR code on that. You can scan it and you can have access to these slides. Um, or if you want to have a physical copy of them, there are some in the back. But I'm going to be jumping between Genesis, Exodus, 1 Kings, um, John chapter 19, Revelation 3, and Isaiah 25. Feel free to follow along. Uh, calling this message a, a mountain of judgment, and Micah kept saying I was supposed to come up with a mom joke based upon this. Like, your mom's a mountain of judgment. And I was like, I don't know where you're going with this, Micah. You're going to have to write that joke yourself. Um, but uh, the, the passages that we're looking at will be mountains within the scriptures where God reveals something about himself and the judgments that are to come. Uh, when... Brendan taught two weeks ago from Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, there's, some, there's a phrase in there about coming to Mount Zion, and then Brendan referenced that as a mountain of judgment and kind of got, got me thinking. This message wasn't initially planned. Last week's message was broken into two passages, two messages, and I thought, let's only do that one once because you guys won't come back if I keep doing that. Um, but uh, So that got combined, and there was an empty spot on the calendar, and, and I think this fits really well because it, it meshes with the themes that are within the book of Hebrews as well. Um, the book of Hebrews was written to Jewish Christians in the first century who were struggling with maintaining their faith because of social pressure. And so the ongoing call to them was to keep going, maintain your faith in Jesus Christ, don't give in to the social pressure, because if you do, you're going to lose your reward as a Christian. Um, you're not going to lose your salvation, but you can lose the rewards that, that are due to you as you faithfully live for Jesus on the other side of this life. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Now, the question maybe to ask is, you ever taken a test where there were questions you didn't study for? Um, maybe, maybe you knew you were supposed to study, but you didn't. Or maybe you had one of those classes where there was a handful of questions on there. You're like, we never covered this. Um, the questions are on the test, but, but we, we never talked about this. Um, and I think a lot of people, they view the judgment that is to come with God sort of that way. Um, like, like this doesn't seem right or fair because I don't know what I'm going to be judged on. Or we make assumptions about what we're going to be judged on when we meet God. But when we talk about this, every person will give an account for how they live their life. You will. You'll stand before God. I will stand before God. And we will give an, we give an account for the way that we lived our life. And the question is, what kind of judgment will you face? Will it be evaluation or condemnation? Okay? And so when you stand before God, is he going to talk about what you did and give you an evaluation based upon how you live faithfully or unfaithfully? Or are you going to be receiving condemnation for being still in your sins? 
Okay, and, and when we talk about this, the, the Christian is going to have an evaluation with God. He's going to talk to you about your life and whether you lived your life faithfully for him and his kingdom or whether you lived unfaithfully uh, for, for other things. The non-Christian is going to have their sins talked about. The Christian will not have their sins talked about, uh, not in a sense of condemnation, because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because he's paid the penalty for our sin, and we're freed from the consequences of our sin if we're in Christ. Now, we can still sin, we can still live unfaithfully, but we're forgiven. The, the non-Christian is going to face a, a not an evaluation, but a condemnation because they will, they will have to pay for the weight of their sins themselves. The, the beauty of Jesus dying on the cross for you and I is that our sins are taken away from our account and the wrath that was due to us, God's righteous hatred of sin, instead of being poured on us, was poured on Jesus Christ. So if you're not in Christ, uh, condemnation and wrath is what you are storing up every day of your life through the choices and decisions and actions that you take, the words that you speak. The Christian is either storing up rewards or a loss of rewards based upon whether we live faithfully or not. The other question you might ask is, when we stand before God, what, what will be weighed? Well, for, like I just said, for the Christian faithfulness or unfaithfulness, for the non-Christian, your sins will be what are weighed. And what, what won't be weighed are all the religious games that Christians play. That won't be weighed. Um, he's not going to have a conversation with you about what kind of jeans you wore or whether or not you attended every church service or whether or not you read your Bible every day or whether, I mean, I'm, some of these things are fine, but he's not going to talk to us about the religious games. What kind of food did you eat? Did, what, did, you, did, did you fit into the religious circles that you lived in? That, that's not the conversation that you're going to have with him. It's not going to be about the religious games. It's going to be, did you, did you live faithfully for him? And sometimes, if you live faithfully for him, you're going to irritate the people that play religious games. Jesus irritated the religious game people all the time. Yeah, that's right. And so, it's important to realize what's going to be weighed. But the Bema seat, or the judgment seat of Jesus, is an evaluation of the life of the Christian. Gracious reward is given for faithful deeds and loss of reward for unfaithfulness. Now, I'm not going to go through all these passages, but I want you to have this at your fingertips if you want to go read them. This is a, this is a theme that's throughout the New Testament um, that you and I as followers of Jesus Christ, we can live unfaithful lives for idolatrous purposes. And we're not going to lose our salvation, but if we live in an unfaithful way, we are giving away our reward in heaven. Um, the heaven is not uniform. People will have different experiences there based upon uh, the, the, the faithfulness or unfaithfulness that we have in our life. Okay, so that's, the, 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 but here's the other key word, evaluation. Okay. The non-Christian will be the condemnation of unbelievers for rejecting God and salvation in Jesus Christ. There will be everlasting punishment uh, that will differ based upon deeds committed and the level of truth the individual is exposed to. Okay? Um, so, so Hitler gets a different punishment than the person that lived a moral life but, but rejected Jesus. Right? There, it's not uniform. I'm not saying it's going to be Dante's Inferno. But you can see where he got there. 
Okay. And so these are things that are, that are just taught over and over within the scriptures. The other thing is that Christians will somehow participate in the judgment of the world. Um, and it will be both a time of justice and sorrow. Um, the, the justice is important because there are many people who do evil deeds, but don't pay for them in this life. They will. Non-Christians will pay for their evil deeds um, and justice will be served when Christ returns. But will also be a time of sorrow because you know many nice moral people that reject Jesus. Um, and, and they may be people that you love and care about. But if they're not in Jesus Christ, then condemnation is what they will face. And, and, and the reason why is not because they were moral or immoral or they, they did nice things or they, they didn't. It's because they rejected God and salvation in Jesus Christ. And so that's the path of salvation. And, and, and that's what I want to talk to you about today is how God has revealed this. Okay? And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at a handful of mountains within the scriptures where God reveals both his plan of salvation, his covenant purposes, and how he plans to redeem each and every person who is in Jesus Christ. So with that, let me pray and we'll take a look at these verses. Heavenly Father, this morning I, I do ask that for each person here you would draw them closer to you. Uh, for those who have not placed faith in your son Jesus Christ as Lord, that they would see their need uh, that they would recognize their own sinfulness, that they would recognize their rebellion against you as the God and Lord of their life, and that they would repent of that, look to Jesus Christ's death on the cross, see him dying in their place and for their sin so that they could be forgiven and made new. Uh, believe that he rose from the dead three days later to prove that he is the Messiah, but also to give them new life. And that he wants them to be a part of his family, his kingdom, your family, your kingdom. And so, God, I pray for the salvation of those who have not trusted your son yet, that there are people listening here this morning that need to turn their lives over to you, Jesus Christ, as their Lord and Savior. I pray that they would do so today. So that the judgment that they face will not be one of condemnation because they've been freed from the penalty of their sin, but they would have an evaluation before you where you say, well done, good and faithful servant. You, you, you lived a life that honored God. You, you lived a life that, that was conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Your thoughts, your words, and your, and your actions, they were things that drew people closer to God and brought him glory. I pray that that's what they encounter when they meet you. And for us as Christians, God, that we would, we would live a life like that, that the aim of our life would be to be conformed to the image of your son so that we would think, speak, and act like him, thereby bringing you glory and many people into relationship with you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we know that God has revealed the seriousness of sin and the judgments to come, as well as a path of forgiveness to every generation. And that's what we'll see as we go through these verses. Uh, when Brendan taught a couple of weeks ago, he was in Hebrews chapter 12. And in these verses here, it says, instead, instead of coming to a mountain when God was on Mount Sinai, the people feared him. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom because you have to recognize that if you were 
caught in your sin without forgiveness, it's a terrible place to be. But instead, we come to Mount Zion, a city of the living God, a heavenly Jerusalem, with myriads of angels, a festive gathering. The Jewish calendar was filled with festivals that were there to remind them of God's goodness and to celebrate what God had done. We do this with Christmas and Easter, the two major ones on the Christian calendar. But these should be wonderful times of gathering together, remembering what Jesus has done and who he is. He says, the assembly, to the assembly of the firstborn whose names have been written in heaven, to a judge who is God of all, to the spirits of righteous people made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. And this new covenant is sprinkled with his blood, not with the blood of animals. But we have been cleansed and our sin is taken away through Jesus' substitutionary death on our behalf. So there's one of the mountains that is to come, Christ's return, Mount Zion. But how is he revealed what he's working on? We see one of the first places is that with Noah and the ark, God, he creates humankind and he says that it is good. And then humankind rebels against God. And what's the primary source of the rebellion? That we would determine for ourselves what is good and evil. That you and I would no longer look to God for what is right and what is wrong, but instead we would become our own gods and determine those things for ourselves. And when we do that, what the scriptures record is that what, what follows humanity doing that is because we're not receiving what we need from God, we have to take from others. And so God looks down at his creation, and he sees a group of people, the whole world, rejecting him and taking advantage of and hurting each other. And it's the scripture says in Genesis that God looked at that and that he was grieved and he was sorry that he had made humankind. Because instead of receiving what we needed from him and blessing each other, we were tr taking from each other uh, because that's what we do when we're unfulfilled. And so God causes the flood to take place. And Noah builds the ark. He gets on the ark. And uh, time passes by. The, the world is flooded. And the ark came to rest on the seventh month and the 17th day of the month on the mountains of Ararat. And so Noah gets off. And there's many animals on the ark. We always think two of each kind. But there were, the scriptures revealed that there were many animals of different kinds as well. And some of those animals, were their purpose was for sacrifice. So he gets off. He builds an altar. He, he sacrifices to God, recognizing that God had saved him of his mercy and grace from the wrath that was poured out on the earth. And, and he recognizes the goodness of God in saving him and his family from their sin. And then God said in, in chapter 9 here, Genesis chapter 9, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between you and every living creature with you. A covenant for all future generations. I have placed my bow in the clouds and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. This word bow that he's placing in the sky, this isn't like a teenager or a little kid that's learning to play the violin and you can't wait for him to put the bow down. This is like a war bow is the Hebrew word. And so it's a, it's a war bow and it, which direction does a bow point? Rainbow, up. And so this, what's being revealed here is that God is very serious about sin and he's pouring out his wrath on humanity. But at the end of that with Noah, he makes a promise that he's not going to flood the earth again to destroy every creature, but he's actually going to point the bow, his war bow at himself so that eventually what's going to happen is God is going to take the wrath himself. It's no longer pointed at us. He's going to point it at, at himself. And that's what the scriptures teach, that God is redeeming you and I to himself. We don't redeem ourselves. We don't pay a cost and buy ourselves out of slavery to sin. God redeems us to himself. How? 
Well, ultimately, we're going to see it's through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. But that's the promise that's made early on, is that the wrath of God is going to be propitiated, paid for, satisfied, not through us being crushed, but by, but by him, by a substitution being crushed. So this is whenever I form the clouds of the earth and the bow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between you and me and all living creatures. Water will never again become a flood to destroy every creature. The bow will be put in the clouds and I will look at it and remember the permanent covenant between God and all living creatures. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and every creature on earth. And so the first thing that we see is that there's a promise from God that his wrath will be poured out not on us, but somehow on him. That he will redeem us from the consequences of our sin. And then we receive an an archetype. And and this is Abraham and Isaac. If you know the story of Abraham, he's promised the three big things in the covenant that's made with him, land, seed, and blessing. Well, the seed has to do with descendants. Abraham and Sarah are old. They can't have children. God causes Sarah to become pregnant, and, and uh, miraculously, they're able to have Isaac. And then God tests Abraham, and he has Abraham take Isaac to Mount Moriah, and he's, there he's going to offer him as a burnt offering on the mountains. Now, this is weird. Why would God ask him to do that? The book of Hebrews reveals that Abraham's response to it was that he believed that even if God had him take Isaac's life, that he would raise him from the dead because he promised that through Isaac, the blessing would flow. The other thing that we know is that human sacrifice was fairly normative within the culture that Abraham lived in. And so the the other thing that God is revealing to him is that human sacrifice isn't going to be part of this. But he goes to the mountain. And God speaks to him right before he's ready to kill Isaac. And Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering in place of his son. Here's the substitution again. Then Abraham named that place the Lord will provide. So today it is said it will be provided on the Lord's mountain. And what this is doing for us is it's it's providing a type. How will the sacrifice work? How will the substitution take place? God will provide it. It won't be on us. God is going to provide the sacrifice. The other thing that God does is he makes covenants. He makes promises. He makes uh, relationship agreements with his people. And in Exodus 19, Moses, they've, they've, made, they've made their way out of Egypt. They're in the wilderness, and God is beginning to reveal to them uh, what it's like to be his people. And so Moses, Moses goes up to the mountain of God, that's Sinai, and the Lord called him from the mountain. This is what you must say to the house of Jacob and, to, and explain to the, excuse me, the Israelites. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I carried you out, how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. This is a really interesting line. Uh, and and if you, you've probably heard this before, but God redeems them, then he sanctifies them. He, he, he frees them, then he transforms them. Like the lie that religion tells us is you have to transform yourself so that you'd be someone that God would want to redeem. What the scriptures teach is that 
There's nothing in us that deserves to be redeemed, but out of God's kindness and out of his love and out of his mercy and grace towards us, because he is good, he, he reaches down and pursues us. And before, before we're transformed, we're freed. And so the transformation is something that happens because we're free, not in order to earn freedom. He says, now if you will carefully listen to me and keep my covenant, you will be my own possession. Oh, my pen stopped working. Oh, it's dead. You will be my own possession out of all peoples, although the whole earth is mine, and you will be a kingdom of, and, of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you will say to the Israelites. And so if I could underline things, I would, I would underline this part where he says, kingdom of priests and a holy nation. He, he redeems them, then he tells them who they're going to be. He redeems them, then he transforms them. And that's the pattern of the covenant. God saves, then he transforms us. But at the same time, God is not going to leave evil unpunished. And so one of the other things that he reveals time and again is that there will be a destruction of that which is against him. And so the, the history of the Jewish people goes on. Um, Moses, he doesn't get to enter the promised land, but Joshua takes the Jewish people into the promised land. And the conquest period happens, and they take the land, and then they have a time of judges. And then the time of the judges goes by, and they really want a king. And so God gives them three great kings, Saul, David, and Solomon. At the end of Solomon's reign, the nation splits in two. It becomes political and Money is what drives it, and, and they, they split in two. And this northern nation is ruled by, at this point in time, a man named Ahab, and Elijah is a prophet. And so Ahab summoned all the Israelites and gathered the prophets, and that's the prophets of Baal, to Mount Carmel. Then Elijah approached all the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people didn't answer him a word. And so there's this conflict that's going on with the nation. They're pretending, they're saying that Yahweh, that, that the Lord is their God, but they're living as though Baal were their God. They're living and sacrificing and giving to the false gods of their time. And so what Elijah draws out is you don't get to do that. You don't get to say one thing with your mouth and do a different thing with your life. If you're going to follow God, follow him. But if you're not, then go give yourself to Satan. And so this sort of contest is set up between the God of Israel and Baal. And they build two altars. And these two altars are built and they're stocked with a sacrifice. And the prophets of Baal, they're calling out to him to, to come and consume the sacrifice with fire. And it says that at noon, as they're going through this, Elijah mocked them. And that word mocked means what it says. He, he mocked them for their false belief. He told them that what they believed and the God that they followed had no life in it. He told them that they were fools for following the ways of the world and giving themselves to Satan. He mocked them. He said, shout loudly, for he's a God. Mockingly, right? Maybe he's thinking it over. Maybe he's wandered away, or maybe he's on the road. Perhaps Baal's sleeping and will wake up if you shout loudly enough. So they did. They shouted loudly and they cut themselves with knives and spears. Baal, look at us. We're destroying ourselves for you. According to their custom, until blood gushed all over them. All afternoon they kept raving until the offering of the evening sacrifice, but there was no sound, no one answered, no one paid attention. 
And so Elijah does between the verse, these next verses, what he, what he does next is Elijah goes, watch how powerful God is. You're, this, this burnt offering, I want you to soak it. I want you to saturate it. I want you to pour water all over it. You ever try to start a fire with wet stuff? Then the Lord's fire fell and consumed the burnt offering, the wood, the stones, the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell face down and said, The Lord, He is our God. The Lord, He is our God. And what's God letting people know? Evil will be destroyed. The next thing that Elijah does is he has the prophets of Baal rounded up and they're all killed. And the, the lesson that we're to learn here is that there's a reckoning that those who would propagate evil, that those who would lead people away from God, that those who would, that would lead people into rebellion against God, that punishment is not uniform, and that those who would lead anyone in the opposite direction from God have a very stern judgment coming. And so you have the promise of a substitute, that the substitute would be of God and that it would take wrath. But that doesn't mean that everybody gets a get-out-of-jail-free card. Those who bring evil will receive God's wrath. And here we enter Jesus. Then Jesus in John chapter 19, they, they took him away and carrying the cross by himself, he went out to a place called to what is called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is Golgotha, we would say Calvary. There they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side with Jesus in the middle. The message here is that rebels will die. Rebels against God will die. Jesus, when he dies on the cross, do you know who he dies between? He dies between two, the word is thieves, but the word had become synonymous with insurrectionists. There was a third insurrectionist that was supposed to die that day. Barabbas. But Barabbas is let free. And Jesus dies in his place. You see, you and I, we're Barabbas. We're the insurrectionist that's supposed to die. And Jesus is there in our place, substituted for us, provided by God, destroying evil, taking it upon himself so that we can be freed from the consequences of our sin. And he doesn't stay dead, but three days later, he rises again over the course of 40 days, appears to hundreds of eyewitnesses, and it's recorded for us to know that Jesus really, historically, died and rose from the dead. And the message is very simple. Do you want to be one of the thieves on either side of him? Do you want to die and pay for your sins as an insurrectionist? Or will you be like one of the thieves and look at him and say, I believe. And today, you'll be with him in paradise. And so you have the fulfillment of what God had been revealing, at least the first part of it. And so what happens is now we live in the church age. Jesus 
Like I said, he appears to hundreds of eyewitnesses over the course of 40 days. He then ascends to heaven. Before he does, he commissions his disciples to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In other words, right where you live in your hometown, in, in, in your state, in your country, and across the world. Be, be my witnesses. Be people that share the truth of what he's done. Be people that, that live a life that aims to be conformed to the image of Jesus, that thinks and speaks and acts like Jesus in order to bring him glory and cause other people to enter into relationship with him. But what happens is we Christians, just like the Jewish people, we have a tendency to fall into living like our culture rather than living for Christ. And so that's what the book of Hebrews has been about. Don't live like your culture. Live like Christ. Don't give in to the social pressure, but continue in your faith with Jesus Christ because he is worth it, because he is worthy, because he has saved you, because he is good, because he empowers you, because your reward in heaven will be forfeited if you don't. This warning shows up in the book of Revelation as well. The church of Sardis. The church of Sardis was a city that the, the, the main city would have been down in the valley, and you can still see the ruins today. But the, the citadel was built up on the mountainside. And so what would happen when they saw an invading army come, everybody from the lower part would go up into the citadel, and they believed that they were safe within the citadel. What happened twice to the city of Sardis in its history was the, the, the people went into the citadel, and two times... An, an army, an invading army, climbed the, the, the walls at night and came in and took the city. So he says, write to the angel of the church of Sardis, thus says the one who has the seven spirits and the seven stars, I know your works, you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Be alert and strengthen what remains, which is about to die, for I have not found your works complete before my God. Remember then what you have received and heard, keep it and repent. If you are not alert, I will come like a thief." And you'll have no idea what hour I will come upon you, making them think about the history of their city. But he, he says he knows, he knows their works, that they have a reputation for being alive. They know how to play the religious game. They know how to put on the mask. They know how to make people think that they're following God but their private life filled with sin. You have a reputation for being alive. You know how to play the religious games. But you're not walking with Jesus. He says, so be alert and strengthen what remains, which is about to die. That phrase should be kind of scary if I could circle it. About to die. What he's saying there is that you and I could live in a way where we consistently as Christians give our lives to sin and idolatry and eventually it will consume us. And the only thing that we will know in this life is spiritual death. You'll be saved. You can't lose your salvation because you didn't earn it in the first place. It's the blood of Jesus that saves you, not something you did. And so there's no way that you're going to somehow out God's grace. But there is a way that you can live your life in a manner in which you fail to receive reward. The reward of knowing him in the present. The reward of being transformed into his image. The reward that is to come in the life that is ahead of us. You can live your life as a fool and an idolater as a follower of Jesus Christ. And he'll save you. But as through fire, and your works will burn up. 
So he says, don't let that happen. I've not found your works complete before my God. Keep going. If you're still alive and kicking, then you're here to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ, to think, speak, and act like him so that he can receive glory and other people come into relationship with him. That's why you're here. So don't waste your life. Because Christ is going to return in Isaiah chapter 25. These are some of my favorite verses. Um, I, I just love what they, what they imply and the picture of being here just sounds amazing to me. But Christ is going to return. And it says on this mountain, Mount Zion, the Lord of armies will prepare for all the peoples a feast of choice meat, a feast of age wine, prime cuts of choice meat, and vintage wine. I think that would make a really cool barbecue apron. But doesn't that sound great? Like a huge party with Jesus saying, we, you're here. Welcome in. On this mountain, he will swallow up the burial shroud and the shroud over all the peoples, the sheet covering all the nations. He will swallow up death once and for all. And the Lord will wipe away the tears from every face and remove his people's disgrace from the whole earth. For the Lord has spoken. On that day it will be said, look, this is our God. We have waited for him, and he has saved us. This is our Lord. We have waited for him. Let's rejoice and be glad in his salvation. For the Lord's power, power will rest on this mountain. I love this. You know, I've got here fulfillment part two, but you can see part one. That, that when Christ died, he, he swallowed up death. He took all of God's wrath that was due to us on him so that we could be saved from it. He, he, he rose from the dead to give us new life. He's, he's taken away the burial shroud. He's wiping away every tear. And when he returns, there'll be no more sin, no more death. And, and this word, he'll remove, oops, he'll remove his people's disgrace. Have you ever done something and you felt disgraced? Ever said something and you felt horrible? Somebody that you love, a word comes out of your, word, why did I do that? Or you take an action and you have a broken relationship and, and you're disgraced by this. And we, we know that the consequences of sin and God's wrath are, are taken care of in Jesus Christ, but here in this life, if you've lived a pattern of sin, you still pay the consequences for it in this life. And he says, that's going to be taken away from the whole earth. The creation itself is broken and groans for God's return. And so this is what he has stored up for those who believe in him. And so what judgment will you have with God? Will it be condemnation? Because you're still in your sins. You haven't been forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ spilled for you. You haven't trusted that he went to that cross with you in mind. Knowing your sin, knowing your pain, knowing your rebellion, he went there with you in mind so that he could 
forgive you and cleanse you so that you wouldn't receive condemnation, but instead you'd be given new life. And in this new life, you'd be empowered by him to live a different way, aiming your life at being conformed to his image, speaking his words, thinking his thoughts, living his actions so that he would be glorified and other people would be drawn into relationship with him. And he's gonna say, well done, good and faithful servant. You didn't waste your life. So what have you done with what you know about Jesus? If, you're, if, you're, if you haven't trusted in his death on the cross, I don't know what you're waiting for. But it's, it can't be, I've got to clean myself up. Because he saves you, then he transforms you. It can't be, it can't be, I believe God to be a harsh rule keeper, and if I don't live up to his rules, I know he won't have anything to do with me. It can't be that. Because that's not Jesus. You can make up some false God that does that, but the real God doesn't. He sees you as you are. He loves you as you are. He saves you as you are, but he will not leave you in your sin. He will transform you. And so if you want transformation, if you want forgiveness of sin, if you want to be a child of God, you trust Jesus Christ. I thank you that you've died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you rose three days later to prove that you are the Messiah. And I give my life to you. And for the rest of my life, I want to live it as a Christian. And that word Christian means a miniature Jesus, a mini Christ. I want to live my life as a miniature Jesus. And so what am I continuing to do with what I know about Jesus? Well, I hope, I hope you're reading his word. I hope, I hope regular reading, particularly of the Gospels, is a part of your life. Because you can't know what Jesus said or did if you don't spend time in the Gospels. So we should, we should spend time in his word. I'm continuing to seek out, not because the guy on stage said so, but because I want to know him. I, I love him. I, I can't believe that he saved me from my sin. My life is his. He is my Lord. And so I'm going to regularly meet with him through his word. I'm going to worship him. And that means in song, but, but <laughs> a lot of times our songs are about how we feel. Right worship, doxology, always flows from Christology, who Jesus is. If you want to worship God right, you worship who Jesus is, not how you feel. That's right worship every time is Christology leading to doxology. I know who Jesus is and what he has done and what he continues to do for me. And based upon that, I'm going to worship him with my mouth and song. But even more than that, I'm going to worship him with word and deed in my daily life. And so a Christian... Make the aim of your life to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ as the Holy Spirit empowers you. The aim of my life is to think, speak, and act like Jesus so that he will be glorified and other people will come into relationship with him. That's the aim of the Christian. Now, I have a lot of sub-goals in there. I want to love my wife well. 
I want to, I want to, I want to love my children and raise them to know the Lord. I want to work my job in a way that honors him. I want to, I want to spend my money and, 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 you know, there's so many sub goals, but the number one aim of my life, transformation into the likeness of Jesus Christ, thinking like he thinks, speaking like he would speak, acting like he would act so that he can be glorified and many people could come into relationship with him. It also is a great way to evaluate your sub goals because if they don't fit with the top one, it's not a very good goal. Pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that in eternity past, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit made us so that you could share your glory with us and we could be your image bearers. And in bearing your image, you gave us the ability to choose. And with that ability to choose, each and every person has gone their own way and against you. Also in eternity past, you knew that we would need to be redeemed. And the plan from long ago, outside of time, was that you would send your son Jesus and that you would redeem us to yourself. Not based upon what we could do because we're helpless, but based upon what you could do for us because your power is limitless. And so is your love. And so is your justice. And so, God, I thank you that you have redeemed me and made, you, made me your child. I pray that this morning that someone who has not, that right now, they say, God, I thank you that you have redeemed me and made me your child. I thank you for Jesus Christ dying on my behalf. I, I believe that he rose from the dead three days later to give me new life. And the aim of my life is now to make you known as you cause me to live like you would live. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in and joining us today. We hope that this message encourages you to continue taking steps towards seeking and understanding God's truth. The dream is that Hilltop is a home for the growing family of God, and we're so glad that you are a part of the family.